The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Multicast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. The third one is obviously foie gras, so get your mind out of the gutter. Foie gras. Foie gras. Foie gras. Foie. Foie gras. Okay, I need foie somebody. In, I need somebody in the comments to help me right here because I have been pronouncing it foie gras my entire life. I guess not my entire life. I guess I didn't really know what foie gras was in the third grade. But I need somebody in the comments section to settle this unexpected dispute that we just popped up on as to whether or not it's pronounced foie gras or how did you pronounce it, Nate? Foie gras. Foie gras. It's foie you gras. are you you are correct. Boom! Another victory for Bruce. Wait, wait, wait. Can you? Uh, you can't hear it. But if you go to Google and go to pronunciations, do you know that you can hit a button and it'll tell you? Yeah, it's amazing. Where? What have we come to as a society? Mm, it's foie gras. I was wrong. Foie gras. I know that. And, and and remind me again. It's a it's a meat. Uh, is, is, is it liver? Um, foie gras, F O I E. It's a, it's duck. It's a duck dish. Oh, but it's, it's like a lot of different parts, right? Um, it's liver. It's liver of a duck. It's duck liver. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, not for me. Not for me. Yeah. Not for you. No, not for me. Okay. Well, there we go. Foie gras. There it is. Look at us go. Getting it off to a good start. Oh, there it is. Right off the bat, ladies and gentlemen, 
Nate decided to bust out what is left of the eggnog. You know, Nate, I had someone message me today on Twitter and said, how much of a super chat would be necessary for you to sniff that, for you to open it up? We are basically at this point, we're basically at this point where we're basically taking like bets around the lunch table. Do you remember when you were a little kid and you were around the lunch table? It'd be like, I'll give you five bucks if you lick the floor or something crazy like that. Because, yeah. you know, kids are yeah, stupid. Yeah. That's basically where we're at. This is a cafeteria, and there's a bunch of people going, sniff it, sniff it, so sniff it's, it, sniff the, it. As you can see, since I kind of moved it around, this is the first time I've moved it around a bit. At the top here, you can now see the chunk above the water for the first time. Wow. It's impressive. For those of you who are listening in podcast form, you oh. are really missing out. Oh. You're really missing out. Yeah, so somebody asked you how much it would take for me to sniff this. And listen, if you want me to fin- if you don't want me to finish the show, I'll I'll sniff it. But if I sniff that, it's over. Show's over. Show's over. I just yeah, it's just it's just the Bruce exclusive at that point. Yeah, it's just the Bruce exclusive <laughs> at that point. It's exclusively Bruce. Nate's gone. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, the comment section. Dawn is in the comment section. Hey, guys, she says Richard Rush is in the comment section. Patton is in the comment section. Thank you so much, guys, for being a part of this. Yes, of and course. you know what, Trey? I have a feeling we're going to get to the can we handle the Chiefs defensive line? I have a feeling we are going to get to that. David asks, dude, why is your technology still broken? Why is my guys? I'm sorry. My camera, I have been trying Seriously. for an entire it, it feels like it's been an entire year now. Nate, it's been like an entire season of football, and I've been trying to get my camera to work, and I just can't do it. Every week, I think, guys, this is the week. This is the week I pull it off, and I just don't. Alex says, Nate, glad I'm not the only one rocking a playoff stash. That's Damn not a straight. playoff stash. That's just the Nate stash. It is. It, uh, so this evening, uh, I had my, I don't know, at this point, what you call it? I, I, technically, it was my birthday dinner, um, but my birthday was in December. Uh, but COVID and some of the other things kind of pushed off our dinner. We went to the Hofbra house here in Buffalo, which is by the way, so super fun, just a very fun place. Um, and you know, one of the things, well, speaking of foie gras, foie gras, there was some foie gras. We got a, um, we got a, a, it was a charcuterie board, but there was two slices of Swiss cheese and nine different types of meats. So I was in heaven. My girlfriend didn't like it as much. But um, yeah, man, this mustache, uh, I, I try to tell my sisters who all, my sister, because at Hopper House, it's very hard to hear because they play music very loud, polka music very loud. So she wrote down in her notepad and l- showed me her phone and her phone said, shave your mustache. And I, at first I read it as save your mustache. I was like, yes, save it. I agree. And she's like, no, it says shave. Um, and I try to tell her that like a lot of people have been complimenting me on it. A lot of people tell me it's great and I got to keep it. So I, I'm not sure that bills lose bills win. I don't think anything on this face is going to change anytime soon. I think that's wise. I think that's very wise before we get too far into it. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, make sure to hit all the engagement buttons for us. Do us that solid like subscribe rate review. We will try to get to as many comments as humanly possible. But as a reminder, we do have a special guest joining us on the Genesee Brewing Company hotline. So we're very excited about that. But if you'd like to get our attention, YouTube Super Super Chat is the way to do it. We are going to roll right 
into it. Nate, one of the discussions on Twitter this week in regards to Bill's Chiefs is that here we are again. Here we are again with the team that although it was a little muddy there for a little bit, the team that you ended last year thinking you would see again. A team that when the offseason was over, the question became, did you do enough to beat the Chiefs? So there's been this friendly sort of rivalry between the Chiefs and the Bills. Now, I don't say there's a friendly rivalry between their fans because that's never true on social media between any fans. However, Patrick Mahomes, very complimentary of Josh Allen. Josh Allen, very complimentary of Patrick Mahomes. And it got me thinking, do you have a food with whom you have what you would consider to be a pleasant rivalry? Hmm. Every time you consume it, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you always respect it. You think, you know what? Sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes I'm going to win. Mr. Carbohydrate, Mr. Meat, Mr. Fruit, Mr. Whatever it is. We have a very strong bond. It's almost like the the Vince Vaughn level anchorman. I don't like you, but I respect you <laughs> kind of scenario. It's one of those things. And so, Nate, I'm going to start with you. Do you have a food out there? Now, in the comment section, go ahead and put this as well. Do you guys have a food out there with whom you have a pleasant rivalry? Do you want me to go first? Yes, I do. Okay. Texas Hots. And so uh, there's several good places here in Western New York. Louis, Texas Hot. You know, it that's a certain type of Texas Hot because it's a flat iron grill that you're cooking the hot dogs on. So they it is definitely a different type of experience. It's a Salem's hot dog. It's good. Um you go to like there there's a place uh in Lancaster. Um shoot, what the heck's it called? Somebody in the comment section is going to remind me of the place in Lancaster that is a fantastic Texas hot place. And they're more of an open flame, flame broiled, which I prefer the flame broiled taste of anything, whether it's hot dog, hamburger, beef, uh, chicken, open flame is going to give you by far the best, uh, the best taste. But that meat sauce, the hot, the, the Texas hot sauce, I adore the taste i hate the aftermath i mean the aftermath can i mean listen i'm not sure i don't want to be graphic here but from the intestinal from the heartburn to you know you you also when you leave one of those places you have a certain smell to you um so for me it truly is a it's a pleasant rivalry except it's not as pleasant when i get home most people have taken it in that direction. If yes. you go to the comment section and you say things like, okay, Dawn says a Sonic cheeseburger, a super Sonic cheeseburger to be exact. She says, I love them, but they're the cure for constipation. Most people are taking in that direction. Patton says fettuccine Alfredo for me. I usually enjoy it, but the outcome isn't always pleasant. JR says Nashville hot chicken. I lose more than I win, <laughs> right? Sometimes the rivalries aren't always equal. And I'll tell you what it is for me. What it is for me is Thai food. Ooh. So the reason I say Thai food is because I don't have it often enough to be bored with the rivalry. Because let's be honest, if you play somebody all the time, 
it has a tendency to kind of get old. The sure. sample size is so significant that each individual matchup doesn't quite mean as much. They're special because they're infrequent. That's what makes it so special. So for me, it's Thai food. And I recently had Thai food for the first time in a very long time because my wife had not been introduced to Thai food. So we went to a Thai place and I had it. And as it was pulled out in front of me, I decided to have a mango curry. And it was pulled out in front of me. I looked down and I said, hello, old friend. Hello, old enemy. Hello, old rival. It's been a long time. And that's the way I felt. We have a super chat from Evan. And Evan historically sends in, historically sends in an almighty take to Bruce exclusive. And he didn't get a chance to do it this week. So he decided he was going to send in a food related almighty take. And Evan, Evan Baxter, started with Evan backstabber. Backstabber. Backstab <laughs> bastard. Ba um, bastard. Backstab back Baxter. Sorry. I just I always keep having trouble with that. Do you like jazz, Evan? Let me play a little jazz. <laughs> anyway, the sweet potato casserole known as the Buffalo Bills, offense is sweet potatoes, defense is marshmallow, special teams is honey or brown sugar, is gonna roll into Kansas City and blow the doors off. Now extending their perfect series of offensive postseason drives to 12. But the defense also had a perfect game with two takeaways, four scores. Bills win 49 nothing. Bills are sweet potato casserole. Every week, Evan sends in something ridiculous, right? That's the point. And the idea being that he continues to one-up himself. Sure. Usually some Star Wars references, something like that. So for this time, it was a sweet potato reference. And I level with you. It was topic. Now, real quick, Nate, are you a sweet potato casserole guy? I adore sweet potato casserole. All adore right. it. As you've probably heard me say before, Thanksgiving food, not really my thing overall, mm -hmm. specifically Thanksgiving sides. I don't like sweet potato casserole. And and you I would know. consider sweet potato casserole as sweet potato with some nutmeg cinnamon marshmallows on Marsh, top marshmallows. melted. Yep. Okay, that, that's not for you. Too that's sweet. That's not for me. Too uh, sweet. I'm not a huge nutmeg guy. I'm okay. not a huge it's fine, right? It's, it's not like I it's not like I'm gonna like hurl if I eat it. I'm not going to. I just never voluntarily decided. And as a general rule, my floor for food is always really high. And what okay. I mean by that is there are no foods that I'm like, blah, oh no, and run away from and like I refuse to like it just don't happen, right? Yeah. For me, it's just like yeah, it's fine. I just wouldn't voluntarily choose it. Sure. And that's the way I feel about a lot of foods, specifically sweet potato casserole. So we have more comments here. Richard Rush says, I have a veggie soup recipe that's amazing, but leftovers have you racing to the bathroom. It looks like everybody <laughs> kind of interpreted this question the way that we did. High Bulb One says, coffee. I love the flavor as I drink it. The taste in my mouth hours later is garbage. There we go. That one's different. You're like, yes, I really like this coffee. And then um, I don't like the way this coffee makes my mouth feel. It's just, it's just never, never good at all. So John DeFazio says, what's up, fellas? Can we please address the elephant in the room? We have the best defense. Okay. Best defense in football. Best defense. I think that. The Buffalo Bills had some breaks this year when it comes to the quarterbacks that they played, but they were able to perform well enough against really good quarterbacks, Mahomes and Brady, that uh -huh. I still feel like they got a really strong defense. I know they beat the ever-living tar 
out of bad quarterbacks because we know that. That's what they did. That's what, by the way, that's what good teams should do. Right, as they should. But it's not like they performed terribly against bad quarterbacks. Do you know who did? The Philadelphia Eagles defense. Jonathan Gannon is getting a lot of run as a head coaching person right now, but it's not because his defense overachieved. It's not because his defense only had their good games against bad quarterbacks. The Buffalo Bills had their best yeah. games against bad quarterbacks, but they didn't play poorly against Mahomes. They didn't play poorly against Tom Brady. They didn't play great against Derrick Henry, but they didn't get blown out by Ryan Tannehill. They literally, they basically rushed Davis Mills back to the bench and then he came back and looked like the best rookie quarterback. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like what they've been able to do against Mac Jones um, in their three matchups against Mac Jones. I, I, I think that, this defense has just been the beacon of consistency and whether or not it's Matt Ryan in the twilight of his career or Davis Mills, um, they've made mediocre quarterbacks look like JV players. And, and I think that's sort of like, I think the, the obvious rebuttal to that, that I constantly hear is, well, the bills, the bills defense didn't really beat any good quarterbacks. No, but I'll always sort of go back to the other lame rebuttal to that, which is you can't pick your schedule. All you can do is win the games that are in front of you and the bills you know, short of one game uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe you want to throw the Pittsburgh Steelers in there as well. Um, besides those games, the Bills really took care of business against bad teams. And, and and every win, they won by 12 or more points. Yeah, we're going to move on. Speaking of Mac Jones, if Bills New England was a food, what kind of food would it be? Now, this one was a difficult one for me. And all the way up until we started going live right now, I was wondering what it was going to be. And I'm going to start with this one okay. because I think I came up with something that Nate, you're going to be so proud. And okay. when you're done, you're going to go, well, I don't know what to do. If Bill's new England was a food, it was a Genesee brewing company, red eye. And I will tell you why Jenny red eye is one of my favorite standard loggers out mm. there. And the only thing better than one is four. Oh, four. Yes. The only thing not, better than one is four. Not a math guy. Right? Because that's how many games the Bills got to win. They got to win mm. four games. They got to win against the Patriots. They got to win against the Chiefs. They got to win the AFC Championship. They got to win the Super Bowl. And it's not like I need to get something different. I just need that again. Now, to be fair, you're not going to get the best offensive performance in the history of football again. That's unreasonable. And the second beer might not hit quite as good mm -hmm. as the first one does. But you still go for a second. Maybe you go for a third. Probably and go you, for a third. Maybe you go for a fourth. But the only way to top it is by duplicating the thing you already had. And show is sponsored by Genesee Brewing Company. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll level with you. I don't know how you're going to top that, Nate. So I do. I know how I'm going to top it. And, and oh, listen, okay. I go. just so I just so happened to eat it last night. And what I had last night was an A5 10 plus Japanese Wagyu filet. And yes, it's the perfect piece of meat. And yes, it was perfectly cooked to a perfect medium rare. For me, a medium rare plus, right? Everything about it was perfect. Step by step, the cooking, the aging process, 
the, you know, the, the presentation at the table, the demi glaze that I got on the side that I was dipping it into the marbling, you know, it went seven for seven and perfect. And oh, well done. And, um, yeah. So for me, Bruce, the reason that I ended up buying it, well, first of all, my girlfriend's listening. It was a boy's dinner and it was $140. It was really expensive. Um, it was really expensive, but it was super good. It was really Nobody good. Best... Call Nate's girlfriend. <laughs> it was one of the best cuts of steaks I've ever had. I mean, just from start to finish, the tasting, the marbling, the fat content, um, the, the 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 texture of it. I mean, just everything about it was perfect. Much like the Bills' offensive performance. Really, you could you could make an argument the Bills' defensive report. Uh, thanks, Patton. I know this is being recorded, so. <laughs> There's going to be evidence of Nate trying to hide something from his girlfriend recorded on YouTube until time and memoriam. The world, the sun will burn out and there will still be proof at some point that Nate was trying to hide this from his girlfriend. I just don't think you thought this through well. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Revealing it on the podcast. Maybe not the best of my ideas, but listen, I've had, I've had worse ideas. I've had better ideas, but uh, at the same time, listen, I didn't even know you could get a steak that good here in Western New York. Like that is as high end, you know, lot like that, those stakes are hard to find outside of Vegas, outside of New York City, outside of the big, you know, the big, big metros here in the country where there's millions and millions of people and you can source unbelievable beef products. That was by far the best beef I've ever had. Bar none. Cut of meat was amazing. I'm a big filet guy. Um, I know not everybody loves filet because it tends to take on the flavor of whatever you're cooking it with or whatever sauce. It's not it doesn't have that fat content, but because it was a 10 plus that's the marble rating and it's out of 12. This had more fat content in it than I've ever seen a filet have. And with that, it really elevated, I think, a really good cut of steak into and it's Japanese Wagyu too. This is an American Wagyu. This is this is the good, good, the primo primo. Um, and that's exactly what that Bills game was last week. The primo of the primo. John DeFazio comes in with a super chat. Fellas, great show. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. One of my favorite formations that is getting that is getting causing D-lines fits is the heavy imbalance with Doyle. We are a much more physical team using it. So first off, John, I appreciate the super chat. Also, being able to go six offensive linemen is a big part of the Bills' run success recently. A lot of it's going to a lot more gap runs using Tommy Doyle and unbalanced line, which you remember correctly, that was Spencer Brown's job mm -hmm. early in the season. And Tommy Doyle was not nearly as ready to play meaningful snaps as Spencer Brown was. So what you're seeing is you're seeing a sixth offensive lineman who's developing on the fly because Tommy Doyle, a plus athlete, right? A real plus athlete. Now he's not Spencer Brown. Nobody's Spencer Brown. I think no. that one of the things that we should talk about is that Spencer Brown is, I say this without hyperbole, one of the best athletes at offensive tackle since Jonathan Ogden. That is, again, I'm not being hyperbolic. Go look it up. Like, go look up his athletic testing. The freakiest of the freaky freak athlete. Tommy Doyle is a really good athlete. Spencer Brown is a notch above that. <laughs> That's how good athletically Spencer Brown is. And so what you're finding is you're finding a player who was clearly not ready. If you watch Tommy Doyle in preseason, he was 
not ready. One of the ways you can get someone like that ready is by bringing them in with limited responsibilities as a sixth offensive lineman. And that is what you've seen from Tommy Doyle is him Mm -hmm. developing on the fly in this sub package role with a sixth offensive lineman. And he got a chance to catch a touchdown pass for his troubles. Yeah. I would tell you uh, the reason that they carried one was, uh, I think that we've been waiting for the um, uh, Reggie Gilliam show here to kind of really coming to uh, into focus. I think he would PFF graded him as the second best uh, fullback in football. He really has elevated his game. I think he's been a big catalyst to this run game and its emergence. Um, he's a threat in the passing game. I know he doesn't really get a lot of targets, um, but I wouldn't say that Tommy Doyle's here to be this team's like swing tackle slash tight end and a guy that they can use in the past game. They really haven't utilized that short of uh short of last Saturday, Reggie Gilliams, this team's number two tight end. He is their number one fullback. He's an H back. He's a special teams player. Gilliam gives them the flexibility to dress one true tight end every week. Moving along. You said Bill's new England was a Wagyu steak. Yes. I said it was a beer. Steak and beer, that's a good combination. That that checks out for you and me, bud. It really does. Steak and beer checks out for you and me. Speaking of which, now I kind of want steak. I wonder if now I can I, make it. I wonder if I can I make it. Well, well <laughs> we can make it happen. We can make it happen. So without further ado, we have a guest that we'd like to bring on. So this is the second week in a row where we have had a guest making their second appearance on the show. I, I feel like we're, we're, we're two weeks in a row. Yeah. Two weeks in a row. Now we've had a guest making their second appearance on the show and we have with us right now, Matt Verderam from fan sided, Matt. Thanks so much for coming back. I, I'll level with you. You know, after the way that Nate treated you last time, I just didn't think you were going to show, but the fact that you responded and said, yes, I, I glutton for punishment. I think gluttony is a big part of the show. And, and now that true. I brought you on, it's clearly glutton for punishment. That must be it. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for being here, man. And and you know what? We find ourselves in a similar situation that we did last time, talking about Bills, talking about Chiefs. And these are two teams that are not the same as they were when they played earlier in the year. They're not the same at all. The Kansas City defense really came on hot there at the end of the year before their aggressive cover one man press nature got them burned a little bit by the Cincinnati Bengals and the bills have kind of, uh, let's see they they found their footing the back half of this year after some disappointing games, some underwhelming performances specifically on the offensive side of the ball. When you look at the way that these two teams have evolved since the last time they met, which evolution do you think matters most in this matchup? Well, I, I guess I'd have to say Kansas City's defense only because it was so bad at the beginning of the year that if they didn't evolve, they wouldn't even be here. I mean, they they were three and four through seven games, and they were scoring 30-some-odd points a game. They couldn't stop anybody. So I guess by default, I have to say them, just, just simply because, again, I, I don't even know if they would have made the playoffs if they, if they didn't fix that defense. Um, that defense has really gone through a transformation in the sense that so since they saw the Bills, let's use that as the line of demarcation, they got Chris Jones back and healthy. He didn't play in that game. 
they traded a sixth round pick from Melvin Ingram. Who, if you look at his numbers, you wouldn't say, oh, he's made a huge impact. But if you watch them, he's made a huge impact for them. He really has opened up a lot of things. He plays with the physicality. I don't know that they had before. He's helped them quite a bit. Frank Clark's gotten healthy. Maybe the biggest change they made was Juan Thornhill starting over Dan Sorensen, who, look, it's strong to say he single-handedly killed them in a few of their games early in the year, but he certainly didn't help them. Yeah. So he was he was brutal. Um, Thornhill is much more of your, your prototypical ranging free safety type player. And then they've really allowed these younger linebackers to play in Willie Gay and in Nick Bolton. Uh, Bolton's a second round rookie who's been great for them this year, especially in the run game. Gay is more of that coverage back, or he can take a tight end. He can take a back. He can spy a quarterback. Um, so they, they've changed quite a bit in their personnel. I would say probably half their starters from week five, week six, week seven, they're new compared to that time in the year. Matt, I, I think that that sort of evolution defensively for Kansas City, um, I think is notable. And and, and I was I was on a, a radio station in Kansas City um, at, in the eight o'clock hour. And one of the things that I sort of keep getting asked is what's the biggest difference from last year's AFC championship game in both teams and this year's AFC or in this year's divisional matchup. Right. And it's so hard to go back because to Bruce's point, these teams have changed since they last played in 2021. Yeah. Not just like. There has been, and and I think it's the mark of a truly a team that is at the press teams that are at the precipice of greatness tend to be able to pivot quickly. They're not they're not worried about change. They're not saying we're so good at something that we can't change and become better at something. And I think that's truly listen. I think it's organizational. I think it that stems from down from ownership to the general manager to the head coach. That is sort of has to be a philosophy, and that you aren't too proud to pivot when you have to. And I think that's really probably why these two teams are in this position that they are in right now, right? Where you have the Bills and you've got the Chiefs. But I look at this game, Matt, and the the one thing that really sticks out to me, it, you know, outside of the, the fact that, you know, we're looking at two transcendent quarterbacks playing maybe the best football coming into this game that we've ever seen, um, 10 combined touchdowns, over 700 yards combined passing and over 100 yards rushing. In their, in their games last week combined. I mean, just an absolutely unbelievable clip. But the running game. And you and I, we talked about this early, probably on WGR on Sports Talk Saturday, or at some point when we talked and we've done this thing together, right? We talked about how important the running game actually was. And I think you and I both kind of agreed that there needed to be an underlying relevance to it, but that it wasn't that we both agreed that neither of these teams, the Chiefs or the Bills, leaning on the run game was going to give them the best opportunity to win. Where they are now, both teams, would you view them as transformative enough to be a truly balanced team? And I don't mean they run 50%, they pass 50%, right. but they're an actual balanced attack that people fear their running attack. And if you believe that about the Bills, do you also believe it about the Chiefs? I don't believe it about the Chiefs. I believe it about the Bills. Um... I think for the Bills to win on Sunday, Allen's going to have to run the ball. And I don't – look, I'm not talking about he's got to run for 100 yards like he did in Tampa. But, like, he's got to be a threat, especially on third down with his legs. Uh, it's just – it's such a it's such a dynamic part of how they play. Um, I think that's a big part of how they play. It's an important part of it. So, I think with Buffalo, look, Singletary has come on as the year has gone on. He's been better and better. But I think the running backs in this game for both sides are very similar in a lot of ways. Like, none of them are awesome, 
but they all can do the job. Like, and they're I all, think, by the way, running against the lightest boxes in the league. Well, I mean, of course. Of what course. an advantage for those guys, right? Yeah, you're seeing six and seven guys, and nobody is trying to stop you, right? Like, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Devin Singletary and Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon, like, they're all the same guy. Like, they're just – they're good. They're fine. I don't – but you're not – no defensive coordinators playing the Bills or the Chiefs and going, we have to stop those guys. So, you know, I, I think with Allen – he brings such an extra dimension, whether it's a planned run or it's a run where he just breaks container of the pocket because there's nobody downfield or he sees an avenue to escape. And not to, to not to break too far off the question, but I think that is going to be the biggest port, portion of this game because I think the Chiefs are going to blitz like crazy in this game. I think they're going to go after him. They did it last year in the AFC title game. They got home quite a bit. Allen's numbers this year, look, I mean, he's a great player, but he's been – he's – comparatively struggled against the blitz than when teams haven't. Isn't, isn't it weird, Matt, though, his numbers against pressure compared to his numbers against blitz? He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league against pressure. He's bottom tier against the blitz. I find that fascinating. It is weird. I think it, I think it has to do with pre-snap, like what you think is going to happen, because you're right. Like It's not that he can't deal with pressure. I think a lot of times it's just mentally like you see five coming, you see six coming, and maybe – Maybe there's a tendency as a young guy to kind of go, okay, here's where I'm going to go with the football. Um, and, and he would he would have to answer that. I mean, I'm, I'm just taking a, a dart and throwing it at the board. But um, the Chiefs blitz 12th most in the league. I expect that they're going to blitz. They like to play press man coverage. I expect them to get up on the line. Now, that could work for Kansas City, and that could really disrupt the timing and everything else. The flip side of that is if they don't get home and he can get outside the pocket, he's got – all kinds of room to take off. So that's a game where how much do you want to blitz? How much do you not? Are you willing to sell out? Are you willing to have maybe kind of more of a control, like a delayed blitz where you bring a guy, maybe there's a spy behind. I mean, there's a lot of different things. And that's what I find so fascinating about this game is a chess match. But in terms of the running game, look, I think it's important for both these teams because Buffalo, the first time they played, they played two safeties, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage on every play. If you're Kansas City, you don't have to dominate in a run game, but you have to run the ball to some extent in this football game. Conversely, I think if you're Buffalo, whether it's Singletary or it's Allen, you've got to run a little to slow down Kansas City's pass rush. They're 30th in sacks. Like If you look at their sack numbers, you're not blown away. They're top 10 in pressure rate, hurry rate, and quarterback knockdown rate. Like, they Bill, get home. Bills and Chiefs are the same way, man. They do not get sacks, but, man, they are top. Their uh, Bills are – those are number one in pressures. Yeah, honestly. they're number one. Right, and, and like and, that just goes to show you. And I think a lot of times with these teams too, part of that is they're winning a lot, so they can just pin their ears back and go, "Yeah, you want to run draw? Who cares?" Right? Like we're, we'll give up ten yards every once in a blue moon. But that to me is the game within the game. Like these teams, the sack numbers aren't great. I mean, I think Addison leads the Bills like seven sacks. Jones is obviously the, the big player on the Chiefs, but Ingram and Clark have played well. They don't get a ton of sacks, but they hit the quarterback a lot. They cause pressure. And to me, the way to stop that, the easiest, is to run the ball enough to make the team respect you, stay ahead of the sticks. I'm very curious to see which team can do that this weekend. If the Bills had a week for their screen game to just magically come out of nowhere and manifest themselves, this would be this the it. week. Yeah. This is the week for there to magically become a screen game where there hasn't been since the Bills have, you know, had Sean McDermott and Brian Dable. 
I specifically want to ask you about Chris Jones because earlier this year, the hubbub on Chris Jones was they're playing him at end. And then they decide, you know what? Maybe we'll just keep the all pro level player where the all pro level player gave us all pro level play. I don't know. It's just sometimes I feel like coaches a little overthink this, but was the Chris Jones maneuver specifically tied to Melvin Ingram or were they going to do it anyway? Because they just wasn't giving him the response that they wanted on the end. Oh, they, they had to move him back in. They did it a few weeks before they got Ingram because, look, Jones had wanted to try playing on the edge for years, and they kind of hesitantly were like, okay. And then he had two sacks in week one. And the thought process was like, oh, this is going to be unbelievable. He looked great in the preseason. He had two sacks in week one. And then it came to pass, like, oh, right, but our defensive tackles, other than Chris Jones, like, not he's really good at being a run stuff. He's a typical nose, but he's not a pass rusher. Jaron Reed, who they brought in, was a guy who they expected to have a big pass. He did nothing until Chris Jones moved inside. Then he became at least a good player. I think of all the guys up front, he's probably been the quietest, but he's played better the second half of the year. I think the Ingram trade was more a product of, okay, with Jones back inside, we don't have a second guy on the edge. It's Mike Dana, it's Alex Okafor, who are fine as rotational players, but they're not guys you want playing 75% of the snaps. And so Ingram, the Chiefs brought him in for a visit in March. I remember reporting on it. They had a good visit. They were just a little bit apart on money. He ended up going to Pittsburgh on a one-year deal. And then Pittsburgh ends up trading him to Kansas City for a sixth. And like I said, if you look at the numbers, you would not be blown away. You'd not say, wow, he's made a huge impact. But if you actually watch them, he's made a huge impact in the run game because he's great on the edge. And again, he's one of those guys we just kind of talked about. Not huge sack numbers, but he gets a lot of pressure. He's He's got a really good bull rush. I think that's a really interesting matchup. Spencer Brown, who's been a rookie for the Bills, of course, as all your fans know, he, he's a fun guy to watch. He's got attitude for days. He's an interesting guy. He's got a lot of talent. And then you he goes against this guy in Ingram who's this cagey vet. Like, that's an interesting – there are some very interesting matchups, like, on the offensive line on both sides, right? The Chiefs have these two rookies this year, and Humphrey and Smith, who have been really, really good. And I'm curious, like Ed Oliver, who wins that matchup? Mm-hmm. Who wins with Spencer Brown and Melvin Ingram? Um, it's going to be – I would expect the Bills to double Jones. I mean, everybody's, yeah. everybody does. I think the Chiefs are going to counter that by showing – and even if they don't always bring it, but showing pressure up the A and B gaps and trying to get the Bills to have to single him up. But do they? Or do they just say, we're going to leave Singletary in or we're going to bring in Zach Moss to block or whoever the hell you want to bring in? Like, that's very interesting to me. And I, I think it's going to it's gonna show uh, with, with Jones, most teams double him and say, yeah. we'll take our chances singled up on the outside. I would think the Bills will try to do the same thing. Patton says here that we saw the Bills flirt with screen passes to tight ends and wide receivers early in the season, and they kind of went away from it. You guys may remember that last year when the Bills were trying to counter cover one, cover zero pressure, they had a smoke screen and a tunnel yeah. screen. Um, that was lined up for that. And then against the Cardinals, they had a a pivot off of that where they had the a John play Brown that was play. a shot call to yeah. Gabriel Davis where it looked like Gabriel Davis was going to block for a tunnel screen, and then he went up the edge. So they had layers on layers with those kind of things. And this is a scenario where y- you got to have an answer, and then you have to have an answer for an answer. 
You know, if they yep, throw, they, if they throw rock, you gotta throw paper. You gotta be ready for them to throw scissors so you can throw rock, right? That's just, that's the way this is. So it's not good enough to just have one answer. You have to have an answer and then you have to have an answer for what you think their probable answer is going to be. Now, when you look at this, Matt, and you say, okay, the Chiefs are going to blitz. That's going to be a thing. If you're the Bills offensive coordinator, is it the draws? Is it the run right at them? Is it the screen game? Is it the quick passes? Is it the uses of the slot? What is it exactly that you would go to based on your perception of where the Chiefs can be had when they do blitz? I think you want to throw outside the numbers. Now, the, the Chiefs' corners aren't bad, but when they've gotten beat, in the last three months, really, I, I mean, they've been very good. The only game they've really gotten got was Cincinnati when Jamar uh-huh. Chase just turned it to Jerry Rice. I mean, that was a game where, I'm not kidding, that was the best game from a receiver I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. He had 260 yards, and I'd say 150 of them, the Chiefs were like in his jersey, and it just didn't matter. I think if you're Buffalo, that's where you need Stephon Diggs to have a good game. That's where... If the Chiefs show pressure, Allen's got to be willing to throw that goal ball one-on-one and say, hey, look, we're gonna, we know it's a low percentage throw, but we believe in our guy. Like Diggs is a better receiver than anybody the Chiefs have at corner, right? Like Ward is a good corner. Sneed's a good corner. Um, Fenton, I don't know that he's gonna play. He's he's good in the slide. He's kind of their nickel guy. Um, uh, if Mike Hughes plays instead of him, Hughes is up and down. He's had some really good games this year. He's had some games where He's gotten torched. He's been better as the year has gone on, but certainly is not as good as Fenn. Um, Ward is probably their best cover guy on the outside. Sneed is a guy who, uh, physical, more of an athlete type. But I think if you're the Bills, look, you've got speed and Sanders. Now, I know Emmanuel Sanders has not been overly productive the last couple months. Like, if you look at his numbers, I believe yeah. he and Beasley, I don't know that either one of them's had a game of like 70 yards since, since the beginning of November. I think that's going to have to change in this game, especially on the outside for Sanders. Even if you don't get the reception, like you got to try to get a PI. The Chiefs are very physical. They are not afraid on the outside to grab and hold and push and pull. And sometimes they get called, sometimes they don't. Um, if you're the, if you're the Bills, I think you have to challenge that. That's what the Bengals did, and and it it ended up winning them the game. You know, they got a couple calls. They they were able to hit on some big plays. But also, look, yeah, I do think, and that's why I mentioned earlier, you've got to run to some degree in this game. Mm-hmm. If Allen drop, and this isn't a, a dig on Al, but if, any quarterback, if you drop back 45 times in this game, you're probably losing. Like, you want to be around 30 dropbacks, 35 dropbacks. And the same holds true for the Chiefs, by the way. If Mahomes throws the ball 45, 50 times, they're probably going to lose. There has to be somewhat of a balance because if you don't have that, these fronts are just going to tee off. And no. I think especially with the Chiefs, where I don't think the Bills are going to blitz. They never blitz Mahomes. They they tend to play coverage. I think Kansas City is going to say, look, we're going to blitz until the Bills prove they can beat it. And then we'll back off and we'll play some more zone and we'll mix in some man. And But I, I think that's how this game starts anyway and then goes from there. Matt, I think this has been sort of an interesting narrative that's been gaining steam. And now I'm actually buying into it a little bit. And I'm wondering, too, if you want to apply this for the Chiefs, too, and thinking about this. But I know that you have a pretty good pulse on the Bills, and you, you pay attention, and you watch games, and you watch film. So I, I can ask you this question, knowing that you've been watching this team dating back even to last season. Mm-hmm. What it's felt like, and even more so since Week 16, watching this team essentially unveil Isaiah McKenzie in Week 16 against yeah. the uh, the New England Patriots. He goes 11 for 125 and a touchdown in that game. and now. You see this team pre-snap 
they met almost to an almost to an extreme became boring and predictable on offense midway through this year. Um, there was no pre-snap motion. Uh, there was no window dressing. There was not a high variance in personnel groupings. And all of a sudden, the Bills decided going into that game, into the Patriots game, a lot like the Week 5 game, where they, they didn't unveil a new offense, but they unveiled layers and personnel groupings. And play, Reggie Gilliam, for instance, right? Like yeah. a guy that you didn't see in the first four weeks, and all of a sudden, he has a huge game, and he's playing 75% of the snaps against the Chiefs because of the game plan. And I, and I wonder, the Bills, it feels like good teams that have been to the playoffs and know what the playoffs are about save like 25% of their playbook. Oh, they don't even, they don't put it on film for the season. And it felt like this year at times that was the chatter. And then came the Patriots game when they just showed a side of themselves that they did not show all year with Isaiah McKenzie featuring him in the offense. And since he has been their guy pre-snap, he has added a Debo Samuel element. He has yep. played from the backfield yep. as a running back. He brings a different level. I'm, I'm just kind of curious in in the philosophy idea behind, you know, saving something for the playoffs. Because if I want to say this, I feel like the Bills, they peaked too soon last year. They peaked in December instead of peaking in January. And I think they showed their hand far too soon last year. And I think they learned a lesson from that. Yeah, there's experience in that. And I think that there's truth in that. You know, I know from watching the, the, the Kansas City-Pittsburgh game, now look, the Chiefs, I don't think, had to unveil a whole hell of a lot to beat Pittsburgh, if we're being honest. Um, but when they got down 7 nothing in that game, the Chiefs all of a sudden started drawing screen passes that nobody's seen in years with them. And it was almost like, okay, we're putting this game away right now. Like all year long, they couldn't be covered too. They could never do it. And in that game against Pittsburgh, it was like they just was saved Bills, up they, they saved up a dozen plays. And like, you know what? Here you go. We yeah. have 12 plays we can beat you on. And then just killed them and blew them out of the building. And I, I agree with you. McKenzie's an interesting guy because – he does come, look. I mean, I, and I get it. Like he's a Debo Samuel light, right? Like he's he's oh, that sure. kind of. Yeah. But, that doesn't have the physicality, but of course. But he's fast as hell. Yep. And if the Chiefs blitz, even if they don't give him the ball, that jet sweep motion, that kind of movement, it makes you freeze. You know, even if the Chiefs are in a a, a four man rush, all of a sudden, and I know because Kansas City uses that as much as anybody with Hill and Hardman, where they will use that action. Sometimes they'll give the guy the ball. But a lot of times they don't. But if you watch the film, everybody on the field, especially the linebackers, take a step or two that direction because they have to. If the ball goes that, to that player and they don't move, they're dead. It's a 15-yard gain up the sideline. It opens up things backside. All of a sudden, there's a slant that's open for 10 yards if that corner can't cover the opposite receiver. So um, I think that's where McKenzie, you know, it's weird. You look at it and go, all right, how many times is he really going to get the ball in a spot like that? Maybe two, maybe three times. But you can use the motion six times, seven mm -hmm. times. And it changes the way a team will defend you. I do think he's an X factor for them in this game. Um, he's he's intriguing. Look, the Bills have not gotten the year out of Beasley they got out of him last year. Sanders started out the year very hot and has been hit or miss the last handful of months. McKenzie, though, and I almost think he got a lot of that opportunity because Beasley was out with COVID in that, that mm -hmm. Pats game. Yep. He does bring an extra element. He's kind of the Chiefs' answer to Hardman because yeah. the Chiefs do a lot of that with McCall Hardman, where he's not great as like just a pure receiver. Right. But if you get them, if you get him the ball in space, all of a sudden you're like, oh wow, he can he can rip off 30 yards because he can run a four three, and all he's got to do is make one guy miss. 
So I agree. I think especially if the Chiefs are aggressive defensively, as I think they might be, um, he can he can create a chunk play just by speed and angle and 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 getting 15, 20 yards the cheap way, essentially. You have to respect Hardman and McKenzie in motion far more than you do Jerry Judy going in motion with the yeah. Denver Broncos, who Pat yeah. Shermer literally never gave the ball to. So it is not quite the same thing. I know I had Jerry Judy in fantasy, but yes, you did. that's neither here nor there. Not that I'm bitter. I'm just saying. Matt, yeah, thank you better. so much for taking additional time out of your week yeah, and spending it with us. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you're up to? Oh, just covering all these games. So, um, add Matt Verderam on Twitter, as you can see the name, just no space, obviously. I know underscore anything. And then, look, just covering all the games. It should be fun. Uh, you know, stack in the box. The the column come out Monday morning on fanside.com. And then, uh, and then Tuesday, you can you can check out the Stack in the Box podcast, which covers the whole league. And I, I like the Royals powder blue. Very nice. Very nice. So the theme of our show is uh, is friend, friendly rivals. Um, <laughs> you, I would consider, uh, you know, being a Chiefs guy, a friendly Man. rival. I have grown up a Kansas City Royals fan. I don't know why. My dad was a George Brett fan. Wow. Okay. Uh, I went to George Brett's uh, Hall of Fame induction. I went to the 2015 ALCS in Toronto. Uh, so I am a, if there's another team outside of Notre Dame and, and the, the bills that I'm like a diehard for, uh, it is the Kansas city Royals. So I saw your Royals pennant in the background. So I felt, I felt that's, obligated to, to bridge the gap here. my friend. That's funny. Well, you know, the thing is I, as maybe you guys can tell from my, my accent, I grew up in New York. I grew mm-hmm. up, I just grew up a Chiefs fan because my father's a Chiefs fan. So yep. I kind of inherited that. And then as I covered the league, everybody always says, you got to renounce your fandom. It's like, why? As long as I can be impartial when I write, screw right. it. I'm going to root forever. I want to root for it. But I'll say. Um, I, I went to school in Oswego and I know a ton of Bills fans and I will, mm-hmm. if the chiefs lose the game, I will find myself, I'm sure rooting for the Bills the rest of the way. Like that, the fan base is so great. I covered games in Buffalo when I was interning for ESPN as a college kid. I was there when it was like Trent Edwards against Brady Quinn and Bills fans would pack that place yep. and it was deafening. And I always felt, I'm like, man, if they, if they ever, win a championship in the city. It'd be insane. So listen, it, they are a lot of fun. This game is going to be a lot of fun. It, yeah, it is. I mean, I really think whoever wins the game is a favorite to win the Super Bowl. I agree. They're, they're just, they're both so good. And what is this? There's a fourth matchup between Allen and Mahomes. I feel like you've probably got like a dozen more coming. Like At they're, least. They're, and now, now Burroughs involved. It's so nice. Like it's Kansas City, Buffalo, it's Cincinnati. It's not, it's not Pittsburgh. And the Raiders and the Pats and the Broncos, yeah. like all these teams that have been good forever. It's all these cities. Like, look, as someone who grew up a Chiefs fan, believe me, I was at the Super Bowl. I was up in the press box and they beat the Niners. It was impossible to believe that they won a Super Bowl. It was yeah. impossible. So, if you know, for the Bengals, for the Bills, I find myself saying it's it's hard not to pull for those teams with such loyal fan bases that have gone through nothing but either horrible years or just heartache. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I'm trying to figure out if who I would be voting, who I'd be rooting for if the Chiefs were to win and the Bills were out. But I will tell you this. Every yeah, unbiased observer in the world is glad they get to see Kansas City Buffalo. Yeah. Everyone who doesn't oh, yeah. have a yeah. dog in the fight is glad they get to see Kansas City Buffalo. Matt, thank you so much yeah, for being a part of this. Thank you so much for taking time out. We'll catch you soon. Hey, no Enjoy problem. the game, man. Take care. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Big, big fan of Matt Verderam does a good job consistently every time he's on. Yeah, and by that, great. I can say that now because he's been on twice. And I have him on my show on Saturday quite often as well. He's uh, very insightful, knows his stuff. Um, and listen, you know, I, I think it's a really good question thinking about it. I hate thinking, you know, well, if the Bills lose, then I'll be – I don't really want to think about it. I also think the Bills will win this game. Um, and it's not out of – I think this is an interesting question for you, Bruce. Do you feel – which factor gives you more confidence going into Sunday's game? Their week five victory over Kansas City or their get the way that they looked last week against New England? The way they looked last week against New England. That I gives almost, me more confidence because I don't think it's the same Buffalo team and I don't think yeah. it's the same Kansas City team. I, I think that's kind of a tough question. It's a little loaded. Um, I am not taking nearly as much stock out of last week's game as maybe others are really yeah you don't you don't think there's a confidence carry over there you don't think there's a he's no. slinging it he knows what he's doing he's got no. it locked in you don't I'm, think there's anything you said yourself just recently that the bills could potentially have shown their hand too early last year and sure. now they're busting out more stuff wouldn't that be part of last week we're starting to pull you know pull out more things you know maybe what one of the things matt said that spooked me a little right is, you know, the Chiefs coming out and basically being unstoppable for 12 minutes of football on, on Sunday night. Um, that was an impressive, impressive run by that offense. And it's I would say, you know, they didn't have the, the length uh, that the Bills had where they just basically had that same exact run, but it was over four quarters and seven consecutive drives. Um, I think, you know, I, I just I remember the exact quote I had after the week five game. I said, I sincerely hope this game buries the Chiefs because I don't want to see them again in, in October or in uh, in January. I I think they're going to have – I said this then. I, I still believe it, maybe not as much as I do then as I do now, um, but I think it's going to be hard to beat this team twice in a year. I just – I think it's going to be really hard to beat them twice. I agree with you. I think it's going to be an absolutely tough game. I think that no matter who the Bills were to play in the AFC Championship game, if they were to get there, Titans or Bengals – I would probably still feel more confident than I do this week against the and Chiefs. Who would you say, Bruce? What would you say will be a more important factor? Um, and I'll and I'll include I'll put this under one topic or one bucket. Would you say that it's coaching slash scheme or players that will be the more important aspect to Sunday's game? Coaching and scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I think that the talent levels are pretty close. I really do. I think it's going to be the things that the Buffalo Bills be, uh, built into the offense to beat the Blitz. I think that's going to be a huge, huge, huge part mm -hmm. of this particular game. I really do. I think that tackling is going to matter on defense, and that's a player thing. But I think that 
how the Bills handled the blitz, I think, is the biggest factor for me. Patton coming in with super chat. Guys, we've gotten like we've gotten super chats tonight. And I'm like super excited. We really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. That is awesome. So Patton says, enjoy the game, guys. I think for me at this point, it's all gravy. I want to win, but man, turn back the clock five years, and I'd be happy to be sweating the Chiefs in the divisional round. That's absolutely right. Um, I think that the the standards for what constitute a good season get blurry and messy when you start to inject the phrase Super Bowl or bust. And that's one of the things I hate about that phrase. I hate the phrase Super Bowl or bust because the implication there is that it's a binary and that anything yeah. aside from a Super Bowl victory is equally bad. And that's not true. If the Bills come out and go 6-11 and 11 and miss the playoffs, that is not the same quality of season as losing to Patrick Mahomes in the divisional round. That's yeah, not the same. And you might say, oh, if you're not first, you're last. Okay, Ricky Bobby. Well, you know what? That's not the way this works. That's yeah. not the way any of this works. There is always shades of gray. Right. Yeah. And football is about being as good as you can for as long as you can and hoping you get lucky. And, listen, and that's just the I, way it is. I hate coach speak. And I know that the Bills, the the PR school of Sean McDermott, uh, is it's bleeded into the guys that talk, the, the, these players that talk in interviews. But – I actually do buy the line and I buy that they actually believe it, that it's not about being the best team in the league. It's about being the best team on the field that week. And that is something this team does live and they believe and they use as like their sort of beacon and their, their guiding force of just be the best team on the field this game. It doesn't matter if it's against Atlanta and you need to squeak out a victory. You're still, that you find a way to be the best team that week. Um, I, there is a general, I almost feel very similarly to Patton because I, I I think I've almost I think I've almost prepared myself for them to lose with a confidence that they'll win, which seems weird and bass backwards and and whatever else, but I think so I, I said this on Twitter this week, Bruce. I think if you were to list the top three players from each team that the top three players would probably be playing for Kansas City in this game, right? But maybe not. Maybe Josh Allen's number two and Patrick Mahomes number one. But I think they're a better team, the Chiefs are. Their top five players are better than the Bills' top five players. But I think the other 45, the other whatever it is, you know, the 48 players are better for the Bills. I think the Bills are deeper. I think they're better overall. And if you can stop the stars from Kansas City, I think that's 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 how you stop the bleeding. That's how you stop them. Um, and you know, can you slow down Patrick Holmes? Who can? I Sarah Spain said this today on ESPN on um, on uh, not PTI on um, around the horn. She said this won't be a game of inches because she hates cliches. This won't be a game of inches. It'll be a game of stops. Who gets it? Who gets more stops in this game? She liked the Bills because she thought the Bills number one defense that they would get enough stops in this game for the Bills uh, to ultimately win. But I, I like your point, Bruce. I, I do think this will be a coaching and a scheme thing. If the Bills are going to settle for field goals and they're going to punt on fourth and one on the on, you know, on the Kansas City 48-yard line, um, the Bills are going to lose this game. I also agree with Matt Verderam. I think the quarterback that's got to throw the ball 50, 55 times in this game, I think that team is also going to lose. Um, so I just think there's a lot of factors. I think this is likely the closest, the, the, the highly – this is the closest matchup of any of the four matchups this 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 division around weekend. Um, I think the line continues to fall closer and closer to the Bills. I think it's now at one and a half, um, which is insane 
uh, for a home team. Usually home teams at the very worst get two points. Um, so the Bills have really the money's been falling into the Bills. There's a real underlying belly of confidence that I have, and I know the fan base has. But I was asked this question today, Bruce, that even with the confidence of knowing the Bills played as well as they did last week, is everyone sort of in Buffalo because of the heartbreak, because of no goal, because of wide right, because of all of these terrible things that have happened, these unfortunate things that have happened in Buffalo sports history. Will you ever truly, without without an actual championship, will you ever truly be able to, to believe without a shadow of a doubt? And, and I think without that championship, all of us will sort of have a built-in mechanism where, I and I know Patton doesn't mean it this way, but Patton essentially comes out and says, you know, like, imagine five years ago, I would have taken this in a heartbeat. But this isn't five years ago. This is now. Would you really take, could you really find solace in them losing this football game? And what I believe is truly their window right now. And, and listen, I think that's a motivating factor for this team, Bruce. And I, I believe that the players are just as aware as everybody else that these windows are finite in the NFL. They are not a long-term sustainable thing, your window I think most of them know this will be the last time that a lot of them, not all of them, but some of them actually get to play, that this group will be playing as well as they are together because of the nature of the NFL. These are two teams, Bruce, who have quarterbacks making $200-plus million. They are not going to be able to retain this core forever. And I think this is their best – this may be, Bruce, their their best opportunity to win a Super Bowl this year. I think you're right. I think there's a chance of that. but as veterans fall off you see improvement from second and third year players and that's the hope that you're going to get from players like Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham and you know you have players like Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison who are very unlikely to be here next year and you think okay this is your last run with them but then you see players like Harrison Phillips breaking out in year four you see Ed Oliver breaking out in year three and you think okay well if you get Rousseau and Basham to that level then Okay, then you can keep this train right on chugging, right? But if you miss up, you miss on a draft or two, all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball. JR comes in with a super chat, says, until they win a Super Bowl, I'll always be apprehensive. JR, I'm going to one up you. I'm going to do the thing that everyone hates when they do the one upmanship. And I'm going to say, even after they win a Super Bowl, I'll still be apprehensive. That's a level of apprehension that I just have as someone who recognizes that people speak with far too much certainty regarding things that have so many different variables affecting the outcomes as professional sports. We speak with too much certainty. The reason why when I do Almighty Takes on my show historically, I did them on a Friday show. Now I deleted that Friday show. And instead I do this Food for Thought show. I would always rank the takes that got sent in with four particular qualifiers, highly improbable, somewhat improbable, somewhat probable, or highly probable. At no point did I go 100, and at no point did I go zero. Because the fact matters, we speak with way too much certainty. One of the things that gets you dunked on so fast on social media is saying things like, The Bills are going to win. The Bills are going to crush you. As if somehow your confidence can actually manifest a reality, which is just superstition all over again. This idea that somehow we're going to put positive energy out into the ether with our tweets. No, you're just going to get dunked on. That's what's going to happen. And I have tons of Chiefs receipts 
from fans who were not nice to me over the summer, just sitting in my drafts, waiting to go if the Buffalo Bills win the same way I did for the Patriots. Because what happens when you speak with that level of certainty is you get dunked on. And knowing that myself, I don't speak with that level of certainty. I I always have the apprehension. I saw a tweet at you, Bruce, uh, and your response was, yeah, this is my brand or something along the lines. But essentially, like, Bruce, you have the most boring takes. Yes, I do. And and someone actually – They're so Rumble, lukewarm. They're so boring, right? Because I'm always like, well, you know this and then also this. And I make no apologies for this. I am the cold hard facts section of this. You are the fresh hot takes section of this show. We are the yin and the yang. That's the way it works. And we just speak with way too much certainty. And there's just so many different variables that affect this. So for me, yes, I'm going to have apprehension until they win a Super Bowl. But I'm not expecting the one Super Bowl to somehow remove that from me because it's just intrinsic to who we are. And I don't think it would remove it for a lot of other people as well. Moving on, we have a mailbag to get to. Nate, Chris sent me an email. Is it Bruce? I'm listening to the media and everything is Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Right. Nobody is talking about the Bills defense. Well, we already know that Sarah Spain talked about it on yep. uh, around the horn. But he said, maybe only in passing as an afterthought. I know the Bills don't have Trey White, but they became the number one defense in the league in his absence. Don't get me wrong. The Bills would be significantly better with Trey, but the guys on the field deserve credit for what they did in his absence. My theory is that in absence of a specific splash, splash play superstar, the Bills' defense is ignored. Honestly, I hear more about how much the KCD has improved. Less than nobody is talking about the incredible year the Bills' defense has had. It's fine. I hope they're being overlooked. Go Bills. Now, Chris, I will tell you this. Discipline is boring. That's right. I, we just finished talking about Fundamentals right. are boring. We just talked about, literally just talked about, how Bruce is boring. You know why? Because I show emotional discipline. I don't say crazy things for attention. In the same way, schematic discipline is also boring. Getting a pressure that contains a quarterback and forcing him to check it down on third and eight for a player that gains four yards and gets tackled and they punt doesn't show up on a highlight reel. It just doesn't. If you sack a quarterback... Then it shows up on a highlight reel. Both of them are negative plays because both of them led to a fourth down where you end up turning the ball over, which in this case is punting the ball. But one of them is exciting and one of them is not. I made a a rant on the Bruce exclusive not too long ago where I was talking about the purpose of pressure. And the purpose of pressure is to generate a negative play. One of those potential outcomes is a sack, but it's not the only potential outcome that is positive for the defense. If it forces you to get a check down faster than you want it to, to get rid of the ball, and you check it down and you get four yards, and it was third and 12, then guess what? That's a negative play. The pressure was successful. But it's not sexy. And so I agree with Chris. It's not sexy. And you don't have a 10-sack guy. And you don't have a seven-interception guy. You don't have Trevon Diggs. You don't have Micah Parsons. But guess what? Those people are at home. This weekend, Trevon Diggs and Micah Parsons are watching this game from the same location that you are. So you know what? We love the sexiness. We absolutely love it. We think it's amazing. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean it's better. Sexiness does get you noticed, but it doesn't necessarily make you a better defense. So I agree with you, Chris. That's the reason why it is the way it is. Nate? Listen, uh, you, all this sexy talk, I, we, we, we need to get into winners and losers. I think we Because I've got a sexy loser. Go ahead. I'm ready. So listen, I think the easy answer here for losers is the Houston Texans, right? I mean, come on. I mean, just, but it's too easy, Bruce. It's too easy to pick on them. So I'll do better. I'll pick on the Carolina Panthers. Ben. Oh, yeah. McAdoo. You you fired a whiz kid in Joe Brady because he wouldn't run the ball enough. Then you bring in Ben McAdoo. Met, uh, bet, uh, Matt Rule, I mean, what a disaster he has turned out to be. And what uh, – nobody saw that coming. By the way, not even me. I thought the Jets royally effed up uh, giving Adam Gase that that job instead of uh, Matt Rule. Matt Rule has been terrible. Um, but listen, I, I, I want to also say something along the lines of like, man, Houston's – Houston, Houston, Houston. So, so those two are big time losers this week. So I was going to go with Houston, but then you kind of said it. So now I'm scrambling. I'm going to go with if the Denver Broncos hire Quinn. I Dan think Quinn. that's I think that's going to be the biggest loser. You're not a fan of Dan Quinn. I think Dan Quinn's fine. I really do. I think he's fine. What do you think Denver needs, though? Are, are you are you looking for them to like move into young offensive minds or what? What I think is that the reason why Dan Quinn lasted as long as he did in Atlanta is because he ran into Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan helped Matt Ryan to an MVP season. And Dan Quinn was a perfectly reasonable head coach. But the Denver Broncos are situated right now to a spot where if they can get a quarterback and an offense figured out, that matters because that team is good aside from the quarterback position and the offensive system. And so Dan Quinn, when you look at his experience, who is his guy? Who is his offensive coordinator when he comes in? Nobody. Does anybody know? Uh, I just don't have a ton. Of, I don't have a ton of faith there. I don't have a ton of faith. So my biggest loser is hypothetical. Ben McAdoo. And it is, yeah, Ben McAdoo. And if it is, <laughs> If it's going to be Dan Quinn in Denver and he doesn't bring in an offensive coordinator who can get some firepower out of the top three receivers on the Denver Broncos, all being very good. I mean, the Denver Broncos have one of the best top three receivers in football. It's right up there with the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. That's how good their top three receivers are. And they were horribly mismanaged by Pat Shermer and Teddy Bridgewater was no longer even reasonable enough the way he was in Carolina the year before. So for me, it's a hypothetical. And it's if the Denver Broncos hire Dan Quinn and he doesn't get offensive coordinator figured out fast and effectively, that sets him back years and years and years. It is the Broncos are in their window now if they get their if they get their quarterback figured out. If they get Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. They're a Super Bowl contender right now. That's how good the rest of the roster is. Mm. And when you have that, are you really going to roll the dice on Dan Quinn? Now, they haven't hired him yet, but there's a lot of smoke 
in that area. So I'm going to go hypothetical biggest loser, and we'll see where it goes from there. Biggest winner, Nate, what you got? The New York Giants. Good for them. Good for Joe Shane um, for getting his first opportunity to be an NFL general manager. Um, the New York Giants tweeted out two hours ago they completed their interview with Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable. It does feel like the Giants are finally turning a page and moving away from incompetence and retreads and going with a guy like Joe Shane who has had the opportunity to to be a, a, a pro and, and collegiate scout in the NFL who who has earned his stripes you know, developing and 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 um, and and scouting players. Um, I, he he comes highly regarded from Brandon Bean, and he has been a large orchestrator of what this team and franchise has built here in Buffalo. And you know, whether or not he decides to bring Brian Dable or it's Brian Flores, um, I I think either way, um, I think I think what we what we're watching the Giants do is finally the smart thing, which is not to bring in a a general manager on his fourth stint, um, a head coach. Um, that, you know, is that, that uh, the Ben McAdoo's, the Joe judges of the world, um, they're going to go out again. I think if Brian Dable goes, um, he ends up being their head coach. I think he'll be a slam dunk. And I think, um, I think Brian Flores will be a good fit there in New York as well, being a New York kid. So, um, good for the giants. I think, I think they finally, I think they'll be better than the jets. Um, you know, next year, I think they've got a good enough roster and, uh, I think they're putting the right people in place. So I, I would give the giants, uh, the, the nod here. Biggest winner this week. Brian Dable. He just finished up one of the best offensive games in the history of football. That is not hyperbolic. And now because of the presence of Joe Shane, all of a sudden Brian Dable goes from having one option, maybe that looks appealing to maybe more than one. Because if I were Brian Dable and Joe Shane was not the general manager in New York, how do you feel about Justin Fields? That's really where you're at because I don't really have a lot of interest in going to Miami and being made to work with Tua from the ownership and saying, no, this is our guy and you're stuck with him. Now, if you feel okay about Justin Fields, then you can go to Chicago and you could do that. Or you now have your guy who was a connection for you in Miami when you were both there in the New York Giants. So you just had one of the best offensive games in history. And now your roster of possible, probable, and good spots for head coaching opportunities just expanded a little bit. More options, more pub on you for being an offensive mastermind. I think this is a good week to be Brian Dable, ladies and gentlemen. So for me, biggest winner, Brian Dable. Nate, we did it. We did it. We did all the things. We always do it. We always do it. We did it the right way. We came, we saw, we consumed. Yes, we did. We did. And I kind of feel like that should be the last, I feel like that should, I kind of feel like that should be the last way that we end the podcast is we came, we saw, we consumed. We came, we saw, we ate or something like that. I like consumed. We came, we saw, we consumed. I I, I think that's got a nice little ring to it. I don't know. But until we figure that one out, then I'm going to leave you the same way I always leave you, which is this. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a good time. And I hope... You didn't leave hungry.